Hello, welcome to the Northern Monkeys Football Show. Uh, we have another very special episode for you today. Um, first of all, introduce Wayne. Wayne's with us uh, today. Hello, Wayne. Yeah, right, um, And we also have uh, former Sheffield Wednesday, um, Manchester United, Sunderland um, player, and obviously managers and other clubs as well, Chris Turner. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Good evening, chaps. Good evening. How, How are, are you today? Doing? All good. Yeah, I've been watching the football on the TV today, like every other day. Nothing else to do. Yeah. So uh, it's a bit. It's been uh, been quite good, apart from Leeds winning. <laughs> <laughs> you say that you played for Leeds briefly, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Odin will love that. We've got a Leeds fan on the show. Yeah, we'll Leeds love that. Right. Thanks, thanks for that, Chris. That's, that's <laughs> made my day already. <laughs> Um, so we're going to start, we've got to cover lots of different topics today, you playing career, uh, post-playing career and now up to date with Wakefield, but starting with your playing career, um, a very successful one, uh, playing for Sheffield Wednesday, Man United back to Wednesday, even Leeds United. Um, <laughs> um, was there a moment, was there, out of those clubs, when we'd win in the League Cup, I imagine that for Sheffield Wednesday was a highlight, but where was your sort of two or three highlights you had throughout your playing, very successful playing career? Well, I suppose playing for a team that I've always uh, that I've supported from being uh, two and three year year old, uh, Sheffield Wednesday. I watched them all all through middle sixties, seventies, um, uh, first half of the seventies, and joined at seven at sixteen, seventeen in nineteen seventy six um, to actually play my first game against Walsall. Illsbury was a, a you know unbelievable experience for somebody who only six months earlier been watching the team on the terrace mm-hmm. um go through a tough tough time in those days was uh, the club pretty much like they are today but um we'll talk about that later i suppose but uh, <laughs> yeah um you know to play for the team that you've supported stood on the mm-hmm. cup with your mates to suddenly now you're playing uh, was unbelievable and a uh, Really appreciated Len Ashurst, who was the then manager, who gave me my my start that that uh, that game, and I played 45 out of 46 games at the age of 17, stroke 18. Um, was was a great start to my career. Um, to then play for Sunderland, Manchester United, back to Wednesday, win the League Cup. Uh, I enjoyed my, my two or three seasons even at Lake Norian, which was at the mm the back end of, uh, of my career. So, uh, you know, I feel privileged and honoured to have played uh, for some big, some big clubs. Is winning the League Cup the probably the, the moment of your playing career? Well, or... I think so, because obviously winning, a, everybody wants to wants mm. to play at Wembley as a boy. Um, and, you know, you, you, you want your team to play at Wembley. I saw yeah. playing in 66. I didn't get to the final, but I went to the semi-final at Villa Park where I beat Chelsea 2-0 but to actually uh, support him and then play for him in the final mm. against such a prestigious club like Manchester United which happened to be my ex-club, ex-manager, ex-teammates uh, you couldn't write the script really and then to win 1-0 was, was marvellous, unbelievable Hmm. We've got what else? Wins a wins a uh, Sheffield Wednesday fan. That's sort of the boy of dream win playing for your club, Sheffield Wednesday, big club, as we're all aware. Um, it's the dream, isn't it? Massive club, obviously. But uh, 
I mean, I, I'm 30 years old and I'm still hoping to get the call up at some point. I think I don't think it's one of those things hey, that ever goes you've got, away. You've got more chance now than. than <laughs> well, we do need a striker. I've been known to score a few goals. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll give him uh, a shout. Yeah, Lack of strikers, that is fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, when you did um, play, it was the seven, starting in 76, was it your debut? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, well, and I know there's uh, a lot of story at the moment um, about uh, a book that's been released, Our Lowest Heb. But it's just, it got better from then. You know, you got uh, Jack Charlton came in, completely turned the team around. Um, unfortunately, obviously, lost Jack. Uh, recently, but uh, what were your memories of uh, playing under Jack Charlton? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty much um, um, you know just quickly on management. Um, Len Asher has got gets gets quite a or got quite a bit of criticism as being not being the manager for the club at, at that particular time. But Len actually sorted the club out because when Len took over, a lot of Deb Wood, a lot of uh, players that, that uh, lacked ambition, etc. Len slowly but surely brought better players into the club, better better professionals into the club, and then unfortunately lost his job. Then Jack Charlton came on, who picked up picked it up from there, a much stronger base than when Lenny took over um, in those days. I think from Steve Burtonshaw, I think it was, um, and and then Jack came in, and and and, and Jack was Jack. He, 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 a um, uh, very flamboyant manager in terms of you know he he he, he did it how he said it and and training was how he did it in terms of he told you what you had to do and and you had to get on and and, and do it he played a, he played a style of football was probably thirty years in front because he mm. was playing with front sweeper and called a player called Jimmy Mullen years before. You've got these holding defensive midfield players were even invented um, mm. in, in football. And Jack was a character. I mean, to be fair, he didn't come many days for training. He, he probably he, he, he turned up uh, on Saturdays and uh, said it how it was. And, and uh, you know, I remember as we lost at Wigan in the FA Cup, uh, an horrendous day at Springfield Park. And it was absolutely bouncing down with rain before the game, during the game after the game and we lost 1-0 to a deflection of a, a, a free kick which hit the wall and went the opposite corner. We lost 1-0 and the first line from, from Jack, what well, I can't repeat on here, but uh, <laughs> virtually that I knew we were going to lose today, boys. I knew that, just had the feeling. The place just didn't have the, it had the, it had the mm. feeling of a cup upset this afternoon and, and we've just had one. Let's get, in, uh, let's get in the shower, let's get on the bus, let's go. Now we're going towards the bus, and the bus, the back wheels of the bus had sank into the car park, and oh uh, we couldn't even get away from the ground because the bus was stuck. And we had to send for another bus to come to tow it out before we could get on the bus home. So it was a real miserable day uh, on the way back home. But Jack was, um, you know, he knew what he wanted, and he got mm. what he wanted, and he and he was a very successful manager for the club, which was great. You had a, a couple of two, nearly two hundred appearance for Sunderland. You played for some some clubs with with fantastic fan bases. Sunderland, Man U, Sheffield, Sheffield went Yeah, you played for some big well, clubs. I mean, I mean, Sunderland to me, um, you know, I was uh, twenty years, nineteen years of age when I signed for Sunderland, mm. and I'd never been to Sunderland before in my life. I'd only played for Sheffield Wednesday uh, youth team against Sunderland, um, 
uh, a place called Washington, which was outside Sunderland. Mm. I didn't even realize that Sunderland was right on the coast. Um, I'd only seen Sunderland via bits and bobs on TV mm. or reading in the manuals that you had in those days. Um, obviously knew they won the FA Cup in 73 and stuff like that. And Peter Eustace, who was a coach there, took me, up, took, took me in the car the day I went up to sign. And mm. he said, you'll know when you go through the doors that you're walking in to a very, very um, prestigious football club. Mm. And, you know, I didn't realise what he was saying about, because I've obviously been at Wednesday and, you know, I get to Sunderland, walk through these big oak doors, go up this big oak stairway, walked into the room and there must have been 20 press people there uh, from all various newspapers, BBC, ITV as well. And, and unbelievable because I, you know, I was a 19-year-old goalkeeper coming from them, which was League 3, going up mm. to a club in League 2. Um, the stadium broke apart, was, was you know old, but a lot of character. Um, and boy, what a football club that was, Sunderland. And everything they said about it was true. 25, 30,000 every week when we played in those days. And my first season there couldn't have gone any better because we got promoted. And the last game of the season was West Ham at home, which we had to get a draw or a win to get promotion to the top league. And there was 47,000 there that night on a Monday night. Uh, and we won 2-0. And we were then promoted in my first season. So it was a great time to be at Sunderland. And I stayed mm. there a further five years. Yeah. And then moving on to Manu. Manu were in a bit of a, they had a slump. They were, they were not, not the club they had been, not the club they went on to be. Uh, but still a huge, huge club. And I imagine a fantastic opportunity to sign for a club like that. Well, it was a difficult decision to make because I'd just been, I just had six seasons at, at Sunderland. We just got relegated from the top division down to the to League Two. Mm. And we'd just been to the League Cup final in 85. I was firm favourite with the supporters. I was a regular every week. Um, I was enjoying the football and enjoyed living up there. And then Manchester United came and it was a decision that I had to make. Mm. In, life, you make in life, you have to make decisions... Um, that, that's touch and go and it was touch and go and I didn't go for the money etc to, to 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 Manchester United but I went there because of who it was and who I was going to play with the manager who I was going to be playing for Sunderland hadn't got a manager at the time um, so you know it was an opportunity I really felt that if I was talking to you boys today um, I wouldn't like to be saying well I did have an opportunity to play for one of the greatest teams in the world but I decided not to so mm. I felt I had to go and I went and I was going there to be number two to the then Gary Bailey, who was number two uh, to, to the England goalkeeper. So it was going to be a hard battle, but I always backed myself uh, that I could do it. And I did it and I played majority of every season. I was there for three and a half years. I played the most games of all of the front two goalkeepers. Um, met some great people, still speak to those people today. Um, played under two great managers and uh, Ron Atkinson and Sir Alex Ferguson and um, you know it's something I'm very proud of. Being a goalkeeper, um, how I imagine that's quite different a transfer for a goalkeeper than a, than a say a central midfielder because you can have up to four central midfielders playing there's only going to be one goalkeeper playing obviously yeah. per week 
how much well, is that a very difficult conversation to have with the team you're going to because you obviously want to be number one but sometimes you, you can't be it must be well a... i think it's 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 um um you, you know what your opposition is you, you mm. know um you know what you've got to do you've got to get yourself prepared you've got to get yourself ready for in case or when the opportunity comes and then you've got to grab it mm. and um even when you are, uh, are at a club and you may get some, uh, you know, the team might lose games or, or you have a bit of loss of form and you lose your place. You know, you've you've got to get yourself ready for when the opportunity comes back again. So as a goalkeeper, you you you're, um, you, you you know who you've got to be better than. Whereas mm. if you're an outfield player, you've probably got three or four players for the same sort of area on the pitch. Um, if you're a striker, you've got to be scoring goals in the in whatever team you're playing in. And obviously, they'll have four or five strikers at the club, apart mm. from, as we were saying earlier about Sheffield Wednesday at the moment. We haven't got yeah. them. <laughs> so, you know, so you, you need you need a competition. And as a manager, you want two good goalkeepers to keep mm. each other on each other's toes. There's always injuries. There's loss of form. You don't want to be, you know, no team um, can ever be successful with a poor goalkeeper in. And that's mm. all proven throughout history. That you, you're not going to win games with a poor goalkeeper in. You're not going to win um, promotions and championships with strikers who can't score goals. Yeah, absolutely. And then to move back to Sheffield Wednesday and win the League Cup again, was that, was that a simple choice to go back to your boyhood club? Well, I mean, I, I was at Manchester United and my contract had finished. I got offered another contract for Manchester United for a further 12 months. But I'm one of these people that, uh, you know, I always wanted to play. I think mm. if I was playing in the game today, um, my attitude would probably not be the same or, or, or as, you know, uh, I, I, I would have taken more of a backseat and, and mm. took to being number two more later in the career. Um, but in those days, I, I just wanted to play. And mm. Man United had signed Jim Layton from Aberdeen, who Sir Alex knew from. Uh, is Aberdeen days, I, not a problem. Great, great rapport with with Jim when he came to the came to the club. But uh, I wanted to play. I wanted to be playing. So um, uh, I didn't re-sign the contract. I stayed on the old one, which allowed me then to negotiate with other clubs. And in about September, I think it was, Howard Wilkinson came to sign me um, for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, coming back home to live, coming back to the club. Um, you know, was obviously uh, didn't take too long to decide on that. At the time, there was Kevin Pressman, a young Kevin Pressman, and Marlon mm. Beresford, two young goalkeepers. And Howard wanted me to school them and help them, utilize my experience, and, and obviously challenge them for a first team place. So you're at a, a Wednesday team, which I still look back at now as being probably the best Wednesday team for the last 50 years. Um, you had some real quality players in that squad back then. Hurst, Sheridan, Palmer. Um, you, who, who was the standout player for you? Who was the who were the ones that would rally the dressing room? Well, because we've just uh, it was about thirty years on from winning the cup. I've been mean, quite a number of interviews in the last three, three or four months regarding that, um, and uh, the answer is it's very difficult because uh, to answer that because um, every player that we had in the team, in the squad, um, were experienced players with 
quality uh, and we all gelled together as a, as a group of players on and off the field and you know we, we had the uh, the strength and the determination with a captain in Nigel Pearson and we had um, the quality of John Sheridan in midfield who could open anything up and we had Hurston Williams up front with Trevor Francis who would always score goals and then in you know and then you can go everybody else played had a great identity in the team and we also had a manager that that um, you know everybody loved to play for and um, you know wanted to play a style of football that suited the players the thing about Ron is he wasn't a manager that would bring a, a squad of players together and and then coach them on the pitch on the mm. training ground as to how they they are to play he he handpicked his players brought them in and told them how he wanted to play and those players had the ability to be able to do that and um you know we had we had a, a an unbelievable spirit and and um in the end we became very very successful and then when ron ron left um you know trevor just took over the reins and and i know it's a little bit uh, um harsher run but he said a monkey could have took over that team and and uh, and managed it because it, it, i know it was sane but it's mm -hmm. still difficult for somebody to take over somebody else's players uh, like trevor did and trevor added some real quality into the squad which kicked it on another two or three seasons before it all fell apart um you then after the wednesday uh, spell you went to Leighton orient linking up again with peter eustace um, was that was he key in that move? Well, he was. I mean, it, once again, I go back to the, I'm about 33 now, and uh, Chris Woods had signed from um, uh, Glasgow Rangers, and Trevor's not going to put him on the bench. So, uh, you know, rather than be on the bench or, or even in the stands, whatever, um, I just decided. I spoke with Trevor. I said, "Listen, I'd rather go and play football now at my age." He understood the the situation. Chris Bart Williams was at Leighton Orient, a young up-and-coming player, very good as he was. Um, and we just did a swap over on a loan deal. I went down to Orient. He came up to Wednesday. Uh, Peter was the manager. Frank Clark, who I knew from Sunderland, was like the director of football at the time at Orient. And I had a great time at Orient. It was a great, great, great club. We had a good side uh, when I first went there. Um, but one by one, all the good players were sold off over a 15-month period um, due to finances, etc., etc., which were going off at that time. Um, but Leighton Orient's a lovely little club, and I'm I'm pleased to see they're back in the league and mm. that they're they're, uh, they're they're trying to get themselves back up into um, League One sort of football. Yeah, I agree. I've got I like Leighton Orient a lot. Um, Rotherham fans, we beat them in the playoffs. Thought it yeah. one of those clubs that you. You, if it's other clubs you want to beat him, but I felt quite bad for him because that were later on I was so close to getting to the championship and then yeah. we won so I'm happy about it but at the same time it's, it was, to see their decline suddenly afterwards was was yeah. almost heartbreaking. Well very easy football club's very easy can hit that skid row and going to decline and unfortunately yeah. uh, the Orient uh, did that. But you moved on to manager them so was as a player do you always think in, in whatever five years time when I finished my career I think I want to be a manager or a coach or whatever, or was it just sort of one day it happens? No, I mean, I, 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 uh, 
when I was right, right going back to Sunderland, I remember a friend mm. now who'd been a friend for over 40 years now, um, knocked on my door and, and asked if I, 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 I'd, I'd done a little uh, article in the paper and somebody, one of the reporters said, would would you like, you know, what, what what's your future? And I was only mm. 21, 22 at the time. I said, well, after when I finished playing football, I like to coach and and um, possibly manage, who knows? And then I got this knock on the door one day and Durham Civil Service uh, manager asked me if I'd go and coach his team. So I started coaching Durham's, mm. uh, Durham Civil Service at the age of 20 odd. I, I managed a team called Blue Ball, uh, coached a team called Blue Ball, who I used to play for at 14 and 15. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I was inclined that I wanted to coach. And then mm. I did coach at uh, Leighton Orient. And then I left, when I left Orient, I went to uh, Leicester. I had 12 months with Leicester City youth team with David Nish. And then I was spent three and a half years at Wolves. Where Mark McGee was the manager. Uh, and I worked uh, there for three and a half, four years with Wolves teams with Robbie Keane as, I would suppose, mm. you know, the main, the main guy. And Jolian Lescott, Lee Naylor, Keith Andrews, Matt Murray, the goalkeeper, who's a world-class goalkeeper. Um, we had a great side at Wolves and, and we were winning uh, all the local trophies, uh, leagues and stuff like that. And players were getting in the first team. And then one day um, I, I, I heard and looked and see, saw that Hartlepool were looking for a new manager. So I thought, well, there's an opportunity. We love mm. living in the northeast. Um, I've, I've been to Hartlepool only on a couple of occasions. And um, I went up there, got interviewed for the job and I got the job. And I had three and a half years there as manager, which, uh, I, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed. That, that, that was a, a tough uh, a tough baptism of fire for mm -hmm. management. Because, you know, if you failed at Hartlepool, that's the only job you'll have. Yeah. Because uh, nobody else will take you on. <laughs> but fortunately, I had three and a half successful seasons there. So, you know, it, it set me on my way. Yeah, I, uh, I remember at the time you were really highly thought of as a manager at Hartlepool. Uh, the Wednesday job came up. It was Terry Yoroth, weren't it? They got the yeah, uh, they got Terry Yoroth, yeah. um, So how did the Wednesday job come about? Is that something that you just? Well, you no, once again, I remember or? speaking to Howard Wilkinson, um, and I think uh, Terry took over from Peter Shreves, I think. And I know when uh, I think it was Peter that left, and I spoke. I was speaking to Howard over something else. And uh, Howard said to me, so Sheffield Wednesday job, he said, the manager who gets the manager's job, the next manager at Sheffield Wednesday, he said, he's, he's, he's got to do all the hard work. Um, he's got a big job in front of him. And he says, I'll tell you now, the next manager after him will have the success. So I never thought nothing of it. Mm. Next thing, Terry Yoroff's appointed as a manager. I think he had three, four months as manager. And Terry left. At that time, we were 12 points cleared at League League Two at Hartlepool, playing great football, winning games. I could I could shut my eyes and fall asleep on a Saturday afternoon and know that that team would win. And mm -hmm. it's something, you know, when in management, very rare do you get, do you get? But that's the aim that you want to get mm -hmm. to is to have a team that you know on Friday night that that team's going to win tomorrow. And I got to that uh, stage at, at uh, Hartlepool with a team of players that I had who were fit, well-drilled, scored loads of goals, could win home and away, no problem, and we were 12 points clear. 
and I got the call, would I be interested in Sheffield Wednesday? And I didn't really think about what Howard had said mm. when I decided to take the job. And then I saw Howard and he said, remember what I said? And, uh, and, and never a truer word, what Howard had, had told me, is that there was a big job on. Mm. And at the same time as what you're trying to do, you've got to try and win football matches at the same time. Now, remember, I could tell you now, on Monday morning at Hartlepool, we would uh, have a good session. Tuesday morning, we'd have another good session. Tuesday afternoon, we'd work hard on sprint work and, and, uh, and VO2 work. Wednesday, we'd off. Thursday, we'd start preparing for Saturday, Thursday, Friday, play the game Saturday. So, yeah, we're back. Yeah, You're so, right. so, so, I, um, so I knew exactly what we, what, what we had to do. My brother was on the phone. Um, so I knew exactly what to do um, and what the team knew what to do. When mm -hmm. I came to Wednesday, uh, the physio came to see me after about an hour and a half of taking on the job. And he introduced himself to me. And he says, Chris, he said, um, there's about five or six players here that, that are key players to the team. Can't train most of the week but I'll get them fit for Saturday. And I thought, bloody hell, you know. Um, <laughs> let's see who they are. Uh, mm. I won't reveal their names because it's unfair. But most of them couldn't train through the week. And then I had that. Then we had players that the club couldn't afford at the time. Um, and it was a real struggle for a good first year of my time there um, of trying to get players to come into the club, trying to get a team to try and win matches. I think if, I, I know now, if we'd have had another four matches um, in the championship season that went down, I believe we would have stayed up mm -hmm. because um, we just got into, I mean, we won away at Portsmouth, we won away at Burnley. We, we, you know, we were starting to get a team together, but we ran out of games. Um, my record in that championship season, what a lot of people don't realize, if they doubled my points total, would have finished in the top 10 of the championship with a number of games and the points that I did achieve. But it took six, seven games, no, eight games, I think it was, to win a game. I mean, my first game was Norwich away. And after 10 minutes, Jeff Gigucci had been sent off for handball on the line. We played Norwich, who were flying at the mm. time. And um, Nigel Worthington, next teammate. They beat us 3-0 convincingly. I got I got Gerald Sibon taking corners, trying to shoot from corners, <laughs> and, you know, and shooting from unbelievable distances. Mm. Um, Chef Kikuchi sent off, lose 3-0. My next game's Portsmouth at home under Harry Redknapp and Jim Smith, top of the league, cruising, playing at Hillsborough. I got players who, who hadn't really the mentality to work for 90 minutes to try and dig a result out or to, you know, everything that you want from your team, etc. Mm. Um, I, I hadn't got. So then that's the first two games. So you're on, you're straight away, you're on the back foot. And I think we played Wolves early on, losing 3-0. And it wasn't until we played Nottingham Forest at Hillsborough, I think Boxing Day, when when we beat um, um, Notts Forest at home 2-0. Um, I played Gerald Sibon down the middle with Johnson on the left, Amshaw on the right. Amshaw pulls his hamstring in that game. Um, and then uh, Gerald Sibon 
had to sell, or not sell, give him away to Irvine, because by giving him away, it saved the club a 150,000. But I just got Gerald playing for the team, playing mm. as a you know as a striker, and and, and contributing. So all, all all loads of things that you that a fan um, doesn't understand what the problems that a manager has and and has to work with. But as a manager, you can't tell the fans these things because um, some of those players are the fans' favourites. You know, some of the favourites couldn't train, for instance. And I mean, I remember some days Colin and I would have six or seven players training on a Friday who were actually going to be playing, and three or four getting patched up to get them out there mm. on a Saturday. And then when and when it's a club like Sheffield Wednesday, the expectations are so high, it, it, it's it's tough. And I mean, I remember we played Plymouth once at home on a Tuesday night, Paul Sturrock, and and they were flying. And I'm standing there on the touchline for the game, the kickoff, and I'm thinking, this is going to be tough tonight because they brought 2,000 fans on a Tuesday night from Plymouth. <laughs> and, 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 you know, our boys aren't at the most confident on mm. one or two other things, and they beat us 2 0. And I get the chairman after the game tell me, Chris, their waste bill is £800,000, and ours is something like four and a half million pounds on players who were under contract that, that were there before I got there. So these, these are all added things that are very, very difficult for, manage, for managers to take on that people don't realise. Mm. What, what what you have to do. I remember signing Dean Smith, the Villa manager. And now Dean could head the ball, he's strong, he's a character, he's a winner. Um, and I signed him and, and half-time going down the tunnel, a fan shouted across, Chris, Chris, what the have we signed Dean Smith from Lake Norium for? I said, well, because John Tenney, not available. <laughs> so, so, you know, you know I'm, 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 in fairness to all managers, you know, mm. I think if you've got the manager who's losing every game at the bottom of League Two, and you said to him, right, pick 14, 15 players to put together, um, he would then become a good manager. Because mm. he'd have 14, 15 great players to pick. You don't have great players to pick at certain times as a manager. So then you've got to try and fight your way through that, which I did, to get through to bringing in players that we eventually recruited which then went on majority of them to have good good uh good couple of years for sheffield wednesday yeah well, i was about to come on to the summer of 2004 i will just say before we do i was there for that plymouth game and that that, that was painful they absolutely listen, destroyed us that day. listen yeah you're the fan i'm a fan i'm the manager and i know what's wrong <laughs> I know we needed strikers. I know we needed this. I know we need that. But when you haven't got the money or the opportunity to do it, you've got to try and do with what you've got, what you can. And it's and it's it's frustrating and it's very and it and it's hard. And if we got a good performance or a good little trickle results, then a couple of players would drop out injured. And 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 you never got anything. We could never get anything going. Um, mm. going I, I, I distinctly remember the uh, the injury the injury list. Well, should we call it an in inverted commas? But we'll, we'll not touch on that too much at the time. Being terrible, I remember the Plymouth game. David Freer absolutely ran us ragged that game. Yeah, but it's, it's inter interesting that you talk about the summer of two thousand and four, which was for me 
complete turning point for Sheffield Wednesday. That was the summer that yeah. things turned around. And I think there's a lot of comparison as to what's going on at Wednesday at the moment because I think, if my memory serves me right, I think we got rid of 13 players that summer. 15 there players some... out of 16 players are released. Yeah. Some of those players I may have, I may have kept on. Um, but, you know, when somebody's getting paid... Um, I won't say the exact figure, but say somebody's getting paid £200 a week in the job and then you're offering the same job for £50 a week, mm. you're not going to motivate them, boys. No. Um, they're not going to feel motivated um, and you'd be doing them a little bit of a disservice by, by, by offering them that, a club like Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so I felt that it was best, right, we've got to clear the decks, going back to Howard, You've got to get rid of all the players who's out of contract, sort them all out, bring your players in, uh, you know, etc. So uh, I had 16 players one day all coming in to know what their fate was or know what the, some of them obviously knew before they came in. And I released 15 players out of 16. John Shaw, who was a young boy at the time, who went on to have a good career in uh, non-league, scoring quite a good number of goals. He was the only one that I kept on. And um, we swept it, it, the board. It, it, it played well towards the back end of that season. Um, it'd been at the club a couple of years, I think, at that point. And the back of that season, it played well. But you've got a lot of players like Pressman, Alan Quinn, Lee Bromby, yeah. Derek Geary, uh, Paul McCartney. There, was, there were big players for the club at the time. And you look at today's Wednesday team, and there's a lot of players that are contracted at the end of the season Westwood, well, Barney, Lees. You're right, what you say. You're right, what you say. Um, that that's what's required now it's what, yeah. because players you know um get used to losing get used to being not you know not being winners you know you you, you you're um, you've got to have players that, you know some of the players at wednesday have been brought up training and playing with in a in a bad attitude time of coming out of the premiership early when they first came out of the premiership and there was a lot of bad bad apples, as they say, in football at the club, in in just after coming out of Premiership football, and they didn't really want to play for the club, so they weren't brought up in the best of lights. And you know, them boys who went to Sheffield United, Bromby, Geary, Quinn, had successful times there. But the reason why they had successful times there, they went into a dressing room full of winners that Neil Warnock had. Now, they either go and get in with them and, hey, this is what we need, this is what I have to do, because everybody else is doing it, then that lifted those boys and they went in and did well. If they go into another dressing room and those players are losers and they're expecting to lose and they're not really that, uh, the squad's not that deadly, then they would have blended in with them players and probably would have fell away. So, you know, that, 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 it's important. And Sheffield Wednesday at the moment, um, you know, are in probably you're right. Where when I was there, they're coming to the point now, the end of the season, where I believe they've got to clear the decks and recruit players in to start again, in hopefully in the championship, and start again and and um, build a structure. There was a, a story that I was reading about in uh, Lee Bullen's autobiography. Uh, about a team bonding trip that happened prior to 2004-2005 season um, where the, the players and the staff went on holiday. Can you shed any light on uh, on that? It's been very hush-hush 
from Lee when we when I tried to speak to him about this in the past. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> um, we were offered a trip to Ibiza. Um, the chief exec, whose name's escaping me at the moment, come on, Kevin Walker. Uh, we we didn't have any money for a pre-season trip. We we had a couple of trips to Holland, where I used to take the Hartlepool boys, and um, we got offered a free trip, uh, free everything to go to Ibiza. And I thought, you know, it's not it's not the ideal sort of preparation. But having said that, I, I brought in 13, 14 brand new players. And I've got a short space of time to get these boys to gel, get to know each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I took them to Ibiza and um, we had a good time and we, we gelled and we, and we, we, you know, when you can sit down and have a chat without the pressure of winning football matches, at that time we did a good bit of training, we had a good bit of relaxation. relaxation. Um, it was a good little time and good Ever them getting to know me and Colin and the staff and, we, and us to get to know them. And suddenly by the end of the trip, everybody knows each other, everybody's mm. comfortable with each other, and then we started playing pre-season games and then we're into the season. Um, but it was an unusual um, trip. I mean, gosh, we took 2,000 fans. I mean, the first game we played was um, uh, Preston and we were two down. And even in this pre-season game, you're getting stick off the fans uh, because you're losing 2-0. We came back to win 3-2, get into the final, and we, we lost on penalties. But the 2,000 fans went to Ibiza mm. um, and, uh, to, watch, to watch the team play. And, and uh, you know, it was good because we, got, we had meetings with the supporters and this and that. You know. So it was, a, it was a good trip. And, and once again, it got those players into Sheffield Wednesday. Now, our first game of the season, and I signed a lot of... You mentioned Lee Bullen. Uh, Lee Bullen had been at Dunfermline and played, played against Celtic and Rangers in front of 40, 50, 60,000 at those games, played at Hampden Park, etc. And his first game was Colchester at home, and we lost 2-0 or 3-0. And, and uh, after the game, Lee said to me after the game, he says, Gaffrey says... I've never experienced an atmosphere like that before again. You know, tw three o'clock standing, there was mm -hmm. 28,000 there, red hot day. And um, he felt the pressure of playing with Sheffield Wednesday in his first game and mm -hmm. could feel the expectations and everything else behind this new team that's going out onto this pitch to play this game. And he couldn't believe it. But obviously, um, you know, they got used to it over the period of the time and and, uh, and moved on with it. Yeah, there were, um, like I said, there was a, some really uh, quality players that you brought in. Brun, uh, Glenn Whelan, uh, David Lucas, a goal, really underrated goalkeeper, in my opinion. Oh, um, David Lucas was, you know, to fill Kevin's shoes, you've got to find a goalkeeper. So, I mean, all the tipmen who came before, all the, all I got from Stockport. And. Um, the difficulty when you're replacing somebody or trying to get somebody into the team of a, of a favourite, whatever that guy does, you don't like. And if whenever a goal went past all that, it was his fault. It's a pretty similar sort of situation at Wednesday at the moment with Westwood and the two young guys. 
you know, I see some goals that have gone in past Westwood. If the two young guys have let them goals in, they'll be hammering them. And the same was with Ola. And the crowd um, got onto his back and he was, you know, if Kevin was warming up on the side, the crowd were up, clapping away. Ola was in goals, he don't feel great. So to get somebody in when Kevin left the club, um, we'd had David before, and I knew that David Lucas is a good, steady, uh, goalkeeper, it's just what we, you know, what we needed, and he came and, and gave good service in them two years that he was there. Um, and, and and once again, I said that certainly show it's important that you get a good steady goalkeeper in the goal, yeah. and we got one in David Lucas. You know, going and that team ended up. Well, I know you were left to part way through the season, but a lot of those players were there for the promotion and yeah, ended yeah. end up winning the playoff final. Well, so. the, the playoff final against Hartlepool, there was 18 players on that pitch that I'd signed for either Hartlepool or Sheffield mm. Wednesday. So, you know, there were two good squads of players that we signed. Yeah. Paul Sturrock said directly after the final, he appreciated the work that I had done mm. before he came. And, I, and, and actually, when I, got, when I got fired, the day I got fired, Dave Allen said to me, he said, Chris, the directors are talking about Bobby Robson, John Barnes, somebody else, somebody else. And I says, Dave, no, no. Mm. You want somebody who can pick this squad up and get them going? He said, I'll tell you, you should go and get Paul Sturrock. And then five or six days later, Paul Sturrock came through the door. And Paul, I, I spoke with him after he came, first came. And he, he, he gelled the team together. I think Ken Wayne Jones was a... Was a, was, a, was a great signing for the club and a quick story because Peter Eustace, who was a chief scout, still then for Wednesday, um, he got a phone call from, no, Peter rang Harry Redknapp up at Southampton. I remember Paul Stewart used to be manager at Southampton. Mm. Uh, he rang uh, Harry Redknapp up at Southampton and says, Harry, we're desperate for a striker. He said, um, um, have you got anybody? He said, well, I've got two or three players here, Peter. He said, um, come down, we've got a game tomorrow night. Come down, have a look, have a chat after the game, see if anybody's for you. So Peter went down to Southampton, before he goes down, Paul says to him, listen, whatever you do, don't come back and tell me Ken Wayne Jones. Not for me. We don't want Ken Wayne Jones. So anyhow, Peter goes down to watch us again. There's one player that stood out a mile, and it was Ken Wayne Jones. So he comes back and he says, Bossy says, there's only one player there at Southampton that will include this team. He says, don't you tell me Ken Wynne-Jones. <laughs> You're right, Ken Wynne-Jones. I'm not having Ken Wynne-Jones. I'm not having him. Anyhow, on the Saturday, I don't know, probably Adam Prowlock was up front. Believe people, I don't know. But the striker got injured on the Saturday mm. for Wednesday. So they're in a desperate situation now. So they then brought Ken Wynne-Jones in, who scored like six goals in six or seven eight appearances just at the right time to kick the team on going down to christmas pick up some good wins and results and consequently towards the end of the season ended up getting the playoffs and winning the playoff final with with, with those players hmm. uh, before going no i was uh, just about to say that it didn't change the season it turned the season around um kenway jones and uh yeah. he from, i think he caught, they got injured i think proud was already injured and then Cameron came in alongside Steve McLean and uh, completely right. changed Steve. Yeah. Again, Steve McLean, massive bargain, about 100 grand or something like that from uh, Rangers. 
clean, yeah, from Rangers. First striker for Wednesday scored 20 goals um, since. Um, name name escapes me. Ferrari or? No, 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 no. Uh, Crystal Palace striker. What was his name now? Oh, gosh. Mark Bright. Right, yeah. First striker since Mark Bright to score 20 goals for Wednesday. Steve McLean, penalty kick in the playoff final, got his mm -hmm. 20th goal. But Steve McLean's goal scorer, you know. I, went, I wanted uh, Peacock to be the target man, um, uh, to get back to the far post, heading balls back down across the, the penalty box for people like Steve McLean, uh, Steve McLean. Steve McLean to score, um, you know, the, Brunty. I remember signing, signing Brunty and, and I watched him play. I was recommended him, watched him play in a reserve game at um, uh, just over in, in Manchester, Moss, uh, Moss side somewhere. And um, he was outstanding in this reserve game. And I spoke to Kevin Keegan and, and Kevin Keegan said, he's a tremendous player, be great for your club. I mm. said... Uh, he said, will the club want to sell on or anything like that? He says, no, no. He says, Chris, I promise you now, you can take him as a free. He's a great lad. I want him to do well. And um, he, he came to Sheffield Wednesday. And a couple of weeks after we signed him, um, the Republic under-21s were playing um, live on, on Sky, whatever it was. And I'm watching the game. And as I'm watching the game, one of the directors rang me. He said, Chris, Chris, this boy in midfield, Whelan, he said, is this the boy we've signed? I said, it is. Yeah, they, this is what, boy, is he playing well <laughs> in this game. They couldn't believe what I brought to the club. Um, he was on, I think we signed him for £800 a week. Glenn was on there. And um, what a player. And then Brunty mm. was Brunty. You know, he was, I remember Brunty's first game for us, Brighton. At home in Hillsborough. Yeah, it's about to mention that. Yeah. It was a free kick 30 yards in the middle of the pitch. And uh, I said to Colin, What's Brunty doing on this? Oh, he fancies himself. He fires. No chance. 30 yards out, <laughs> bump top corner. What a goal. <laughs> what a goal. I, I was sat on the south stand uh, the season ticket on the south stand with my brother for that game and it was only about 10 minutes in as well yeah yeah, yeah. and brother says oh is this guy I don't know we're standing from uh, Borough or something like that and uh, is it, is it your free kick guess we'll find out and he whipped yeah. in top, top corner in front of the yeah. lane end and I'm thinking how, how have we signed this lad he's unreal yeah. and then he goes on to have the career that he's had mm. which is yeah, fantastic. phenomenal fantastic. player we got him for 400 500 pound a week at that at that time um, you know, they, 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 they were good, uh, there were, were, were players that we could get together. And the, the, the kingpin of them all, who, who actually didn't play many games, was Chrissy Marsden, who were brought to bring the experience into midfield, um, to come to the club. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, that summed it up the first game called Chester at home. His father in law had an accident at home on the Thursday. And, who eventually, unfortunately, died uh, a few weeks later. But Chris was missing for the first couple of games mm. because he was he was off, and that that that, that sums a bit of luck that you you do need. But um, you know, I play, we had nine games. I won three, drew three, lost three in the opening period. We're three points off playoffs at that time. Um, we lost at home to Bournemouth one 0 and I got sacked. But that's football. But you know, I always say 
when you when you when you leave a job, try and leave it in a better position than what you walked into, and I certainly did that with Sheffield Wednesday, and the proof was the players that we brought and put together uh, at that time. And I've always believed that if I had 14 months with three other, four other managers, players for 14 months, mm. and I had four months with players that I had, if it would have been the other way around, I think I would have been there longer, a lot longer than that. Mm. Uh, staying with Sheffield Wednesday, uh, before we move on to other things, uh, I've got to ask your thoughts on current events at Sheffield Wednesday. We talk about it a lot on this show. Um, it's a very strange. It seems a very strange time for the club at the minute. Well, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to go too heavily into it. Into yeah. it you know, talking as a supporter, and I've known the inside of the club for a long, long time. Um, when, 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 when they sold the ground. When the players haven't been paid on time, um, when we're having 12 points deducted, reduced to six, it's not being run right. Mm. The recruitment of players, the players that are coming in or have come in, um, we haven't sold a player, I don't think. Well, Jow to Reading, um, who's now looking like a 25, 30 million. Yeah, just... um, I didn't see a lot of him, but he used to come off the bench and liven the games up um, at times um, I just I just I just feel that we're sailing away into I don't know where we're going mm-hmm. um, I think if we stay up this season it'll be obviously great but where where's the forward thinking going to be um, who's going to be recruiting the players who's going to be recruiting the next manager um, it, it's a it's a mess we've yeah. had people coming in behind the, the scenes. Uh, Katrina from Charlton came, left. Um, the, the the recruitment board at the very early days came, left after about six weeks. Um, there's an ongoing theme here uh, at the club. Tony Pulis, he's not everybody's cup of tea as manager, but he's a very, very experienced manager. Only mm. last 45 days. Um, the only thing I can thank Tony for is that he's got, he took the record of uh, <laughs> for a win for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, uh, but but um, no, you know, a very experienced manager mm. uh, leaves, left sacks, couldn't get on with the with the owner. Um, it's not good, and and it's sad, and and what makes it worse is that Sheffield United, although are having a a difficult season. It's a difficult season in the Premier League, you know. Mm. Um, it, it's everything about the club commercially, and 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 the academy, and you know it looks as though we've got an academy pro, uh, uh, product coming through in Shaw, but it looks as though he possibly may be going to Celtic for next to nothing because his contract's coming out at the end of the season. It, it, it's a mess, and 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 you know. They can dross it up as much as what they like and, and all these things with the supporters, but, you know, the supporters aren't daft. I think the best thing that's happened in some respects for the club is that there hasn't been any fans in that stadium yeah. because they would have been, wow, you know, with, what, with what's been going off and, and everything else. And I just hopefully, you know, and you can't knock the owner in terms of putting finance into the club. I just feel he's not had the right people, but he—he's the one who's got to decide who goes into those positions. 
And mm. you know, a, a good friend of mine, uh, ex work colleague in Paul Cook, uh, who I worked with and recruited for Chesterfield, he would be absolutely perfect for Shepherd Wednesday in the right way, in mm. the right uh, situ for the manager to go in, be able to recruit your players, play the football, pick your teams, do everything you want to do. Uh, he would be he would be perfect, and he'd be great for the fans. The fans would love him because he, he 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 gets involved with the supporters. He runs out before the game, goes down to the fans, and gives them a clap home and away. He gets the fans. He's passionate and everything. He's perfect for the job. And and then I, I read yesterday he's unprofessional. Wow. Yes, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is. Know, There's only one unprofessional person that's linked with Sheffield Wednesday at the minute. <laughs> and it's, it's not Paul Cook, put it that way. <laughs> it's, uh, no, it, it, it's the guy making the decisions. It's very difficult. And, and you know, the guy who owns the club, and my, my, my concern, and it was a year and a half ago, is when, when you sell the club. I know you can sell, you know, when you're selling the ground and you're selling this and you're doing that, it's, whoa. That mm. that ground is 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 for the fans. It's the clubs. It's a club stadium, and I know you know they can say what they like about. Well, you know it, it's only. I know it's a way of accountancy and various things. But if that club does come for sale, if it does go for sale, that means that the owner, owner of the club, can then rent it out to whoever's going to buy the club. So, you know. I'd like them to, 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 to go into, into record and state there will be no fee for the sale of the ground mm. if, whenever going forward for somebody to buy the club. That's not involved. The club is, is wrapped up in there. But I, we won't be. You watch. And I worry mm. for the club. I worry for the, you know, every club has its price, but nobody's going to buy a team in the championship or in League One for £350 million. That ain't going to happen. And that's what I'm told. He wants his money back if he sells it. Yeah. So, well, to put into some sort of comparison, Wigan um, are in the process of trying to be bought for around three million pounds. Now I know Wednesday and Wigan are two completely different teams, but if you look at teams that don't own the ground, which is probably not going to be included in, the, in a standard sale price, don't know the training ground mm. in League One. I know Wednesday are a lot bigger, but you, you're not going to get. Well, anyway, Sheffield, when you've got no real assets, I mean, the, the training ground, well, when I was manager, was was going to be sold to one at supermarkets for £10 million mm. to try and get. And that £10 million was to reduce the £24, <clears throat> £27 million debt that the club had at the mm. time. Well, the club are actually in debt to £350 million. I, I don't know where they spent that money, by the way. But if, it, if we'd have bought a brand new training ground and new complex and all that, I can fully understand it. But we haven't. Mm. It's Middlewood Road. I trained there in, in 1972, 73. It hasn't changed much since then. <laughs> it's still only got one full-size pitch. You know? Um, so, so there's no asset at the training ground. Uh, you know, we're way behind. You know, I go, I go see Chrissy Wilder now and again, but... but um, at the top there, they've got a fantastic training yeah. ground. Unbelievable. And it's situated a mile from our club. And, uh, you know, that those are the things if somebody's ploughed 300, 200, 300 million pounds into a football club, those are the things that you need to provide. The infrastructure, your academy, mm. if you're going to run an academy, get it running in a, in a, in a proper manner. 
and, and be producing a lot of good young players that are going to come into our <coughs> into the team. But you know, we we bought journeymen and we bought uh, players from Watford's at five and seven, eight, nine million pounds and players like that, and forty grand a week. And no wonder we're in financial trouble. But you know, sometimes the fans are saying, "Oh, look at Chrissy Wilder laughing at Wednesday." Or he hasn't got players on thirty, forty grand a week. Who's laughing now? You know. Oh, wait. We were doing a little bit of uh, research on this earlier, and we've worked out that if Wednesday release all the players who are out of contract in the summer, not including the youth players, in the same way that you did in 2004, it would approximately, because the exact figures aren't released, knock £12 million a year off the wage bill. Yeah, wow. yeah. That, uh, that tells you everything you need to know about the mismanagement of the club at the minute. I mean, when I went to Wednesday, it was £8.2 million and. and... And for that year that we talked about, 2004, had to get the squad to be fitted in to 2.5 million. 2.5 million. They're running now at at 20 million, 29 million, and 30 million year before. You know, Um, I I had to beg, steal, and borrow loan players at at some time, at some stages. Um, But I had to. We we were in a market. Yeah, with a big club with big support, big expectations. But we're on a budget of 2.5 million um, to 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 get the club going again. And the biggest problem is at, at my time, especially, was and when Dave Allen said, "Well, they've only got 800,000. If you're going to sign for Plymouth, way down in Plymouth, in, in the corner down there, um, if you're going to contemplate going, no disrespect to Plymouth, you, you're not going to be." Uh, sought after by big clubs because obviously mm. you're time for them you go down to Plymouth, you build a career you do well like your man in midfield who eventually went to Forest who you mentioned earlier um, you, you, you build a career when you come to Sheffield Wednesday they're expecting big wages they're expecting two two grand a week in them days three grand a week, four grand a week nowadays they're expecting 20 grand a week plus to come and play the Sheffield Wednesday because everybody else is. I think the average wage at Wednesday is about £20,000 a week. That's average. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know some sums are more. But, yeah. you know, so 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 the club gets itself into a situation where people are expecting uh, big money before they even come and talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Football, isn't it? The, the clubs like that, Wednesday, not on their own. Derby are in a similar situation where they've spent a lot of money now in a bad place. Yeah, Derby County. It's 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 uh, it's 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 chasing the dream. Mm. It's um, you know what what a club like Wednesday need to do is take a step backwards. Yeah. Do what we've been talking about. Start again. Get people in proper positions within the club to do their jobs. Let them get on. Do the jobs. Get a manager in. Build a squad of players. Set a wage budget, set a, set a limit that we can do. Put some money in for loans if, if required to add on top and, and, and do it that way. And that, that's the way to, to, to do it. Not like, let's, oh, we stay in the championship this year. Let's go and buy some more players with a million pounds, 18, 20 grand, 25 grand a week. And you find yourself back in the same situation again. I mean, I, I, I'm a great fan of what Brentford did. Brentford no, did on and off the field. It, you know, they, they got heavily criticised a number of years ago for scrapping their academy. And what they've done, yeah. they've built two teams at Brentford. Mm. 
they've got a first team and a second team. They call it the, the B team. And uh, so they've got 25 first team players and they've got 25 B team players, nearly 50 players. And um, they all play. I mean, I've seen them train, I've watched them train. Um, and the recruiter, the recruitment is, is done professionally. And they've got themselves into the position from that to now being able to sign players like that they have been saying, signing at fours and fives and the striker nine million from Peterborough. But all yeah. them players have been signed for five and sold for 25. The boy up front, um, nine million, a lot of money, but they'll sell him for 30, 40 million when required. But also, these other 25, they're coming in to take their boys' places. Mm. It's proper, it's proper um, uh, one in, one out, so to speak. You know, mm. You've got players, I was listening to the manager today, they won yesterday 7 2 against Wickham, but they got four players out injured and they brought four players in and they play exactly the same way. And that's, that's, that's a fantastic football club. That's how, for me, I'd like Sheffield Wednesday to be operating um, and, and should be operating in today's, you know, especially on recruitment, knowing players that are coming in can do the, the job that you want them to do. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on to what you're doing now, um, Wakefield, um, a town, a city, sorry, that I know a lot about. I used to live there. My mum still does live there. A huge city, a lot of, you know, big, as, as is sort of the well-known fact, the biggest city in the country yeah, yeah. without a professional football team. Um, is that the reason why you've sort of got involved to try and build that, build up and build that through? Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, we had a, there, there was an academy there that, that, that we were playing games, mm. playing against pro clubs. And the, 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 see, there's a lot of players, that, you know, hundreds, thousands of players at 18, 19, 20, 21 who've been involved mm. in professional football, get released, lose the confidence, go out the game. So I wanted, we wanted to bring them in, coach them, rebuild them, play them against pro clubs uh, and try and get them back into the game. But as well, I was looking at that a year ago, but it's over. And the pro clubs were, were you know, they weren't really interested or the, the games we were playing, they weren't playing against their best young players yeah. and so on and so on. I said, I said to Mike, I said, um, we need, we need, we, these boys need to be playing in, in men's football. Mm. So to cut a long story short, he said, well, Wakefield tried before to have a, prof a professional club. So, you know, that's what Mike and I are trying, are trying to get us, uh, what we are going to be doing. Mm. Um, we're starting off at the lower end, really down at the bottom, Sheffield County Senior Premier League. We've had, uh, this was our second season, but obviously COVID prevented the last season. It's prevented this season. Uh, this summer, we've, uh, we appointed a manager, uh, a reserve team manager, Lee Crooks, first team manager, uh, Adam, Adam Lockwood. Um, we've got some investment coming, well, it's arrived from, from America, uh, from the US. I did, a, I did a, uh, an article in the newspaper, the online, Paper the Athletic, um, out, outlining everything about the club, what 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 we want to do, where we want to go, um, and 
the reporter was asking how, how long that's going to take. Well, you know, 15 years, 20 years. Mm. Um, it's not for me. I'm not going to be there in 20 years. But, you know, we're starting something we mm. feel that, that, that can build on. Um, but that could be brought on quicker if we had investment and investors, etc. Anyhow, this guy out in Connecticut was um, was reading it and got in, got in, got interested and has got involved with us. And their, their company is coming on board with us. They've bought a small percentage at the moment, um, but they've got a deal to take over seventy percent of it in the in, in the oncoming years. Um, so that's brilliant for us. Um, and we're playing at Featherstone, so we're playing in front in, in the stadium um, every week. So um, we're hoping to get into the semi-pro um, level um, next season. Uh, we're hoping mm. that we, we we will we've a, we've a applied for promotion, but obviously uh, there's no there's going to be no league games now to, for this season. I don't think. Um, but we want to try and get into the semi-pro league for next year. Um, so with the investment we've got, with them can can pay players to come and play for us, and we've got international players coming to to to, to do student education as well. Uh, we've started with development. We've got uh, 16s to 18s, and we're now bringing on board 14s, 13s, 12s next year. Um, we're doing BTEX. We're doing um, for the 16s to 18s, and we're doing a degree course for the 18s and above and obviously there was the opportunity to try and get and play in Wakefield's first team so it's quite busy um, mm. keeps me active um, but we are uh, very uh, at the very beginning but mm. our dreams and our aspirations are high and if we can and if somebody in the future can take it into that be absolutely fantastic because there is an interest in the city um, and uh, you know, there is a new stadium going to be built at some stage uh, for Wakefield Trinity, which we mm. are uh, hoping to be involved with. With well, without them, the Americans are, are also looking at at, at, uh, uh, at that as well. So, you know, it, it could be exciting times in front of us. We do have a bit of a non-league coverage on to, on to, uh, I've got. I've known, been involved with uh, County Senior League since about 2010. I know a lot in the Northern Counties League, and I know the biggest hurdle to get in to, up to the Northern Counties is ground grading. You've mentioned about the the new stadium, potentially sharing with, um, with the rugby team. Um, is there any uh, plans on when that will be completed? Uh, well, uh, everything's passed for the stadium and and and, and everything. Um, it, it's uh, it's to do with Wakefield Trinity on that one. Um, mm. for, for us as a club, it's not too we're, we're okay because we're playing at Featherstone, so um, that 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 uh, the stadium there will be more than adequate mm. enough for the, the you know the levels for the next three years going forward. So we're, we're okay for the stadium, for the ground, and everything. But our 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 main aim is to have a stadium in in Wake. I know Featherstone virtually is Wakefield, but it is actually. Um, in, in the city centre of Wakefield, um, we're looking at training complexes and everything uh, to be to be brought together. I mean, Wakefield Trinity, even though they're a Super League team, need to get their facilities upgraded yeah, for Super League, um, and also they, they struggle for training facilities as well. So we're mm -hmm. looking, hopefully, in the future to amalgamate the two sports 
uh, in the same stadium, same training ground, same same everything. So that uh, I, you know, I'd like it to become a sporting uh, a sporting complex uh, for Wakefield, um, and hopefully in the future that people see Wakefield not just as Wakefield Trinity, but as a football club as well. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I um, obviously it's it's been long overdue uh, in Wakefield to have a, a professional team. I've seen on your website you've got a clear plan on how you're going to get to the uh, to the football league. I know COVID's affected that, but it's good that there's a, a proper um, plan in place there for the club. Um, so we do wish you all the best with that. Um, just finally, the uh, one thing that I wanted to cover because Lax has mentioned it before, and the playing kits. I love the kits. The kits. The kits. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to finish in that because we are a big fan of the kits. Let's get those back. Let's get those back out on sale. <laughs> which, uh, which, 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 I mean, you're saying that's a Hallam one. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that reminds me of Wednesday in the seventies. I know. As, as a Rotherham fan, it hurts me a bit to be wearing blue and white. To be honest, well, it was I mean, part of the reason I bought him. I know, I know, I know. Richard uh, Pillinger, who's the uh, vice chairman at, um, at Hallam, big Wednesday mm. fan. So you know they've had stripes and now they've got that, that shirt. So um, he's, you know, he, he, he's trying to get Sheffield Wednesday into Hallam. Yeah, <laughs> well, a lot of the fans have adopted Hallam as the second club. I think for uh, for away days, particularly with the com- uh, complaints around ticket price at the minute. So uh, hopefully you can get a similar sort of uh, approach. Well, I mean, we, teams we, in West Yorkshire. Yeah, well, well, before COVID and uh, this season, and with us being in the stadium for the first time this year, we were getting up to 350, 400 people coming to watch us play, um, which has made it more disappointing because they were enjoying yeah. the, the days out with the number of people that came from around the country, mm. from Wales, from Scotland, from Land's End, down the bottom there, coming up just to take in a fixture for Wakefield uh was has been unbelievable interest people wanting to buy a shirt about the shop um just for historical reasons mm. um so you know we we do believe we're onto something good um we've just got to be patient and we just got to develop it um mm. and and hopefully in in the years to come there is a wakefield afc playing at a good level of professional football yeah absolutely and i think i speak for both me and wayne and certainly the guys Hopefully, when this is all over, we'll Wakefield is somewhere we'll be coming when we do our non-league yeah. days. I mean, well, that'd be uh, great. Most welcome. Most brilliant. welcome. Brilliant. brilliant. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, Wayne, anything else you want to ask? No, I think I've taken up about four hours of your night talking about the Wednesday anyway. Uh, but it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about that, Chris. Appreciate your time. Pleasure. So if you've enjoyed listening to this interview, which as much as we and me and we enjoy doing it, please subscribe to the iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast, uh, and our, our YouTube channel, Northern Monkeys Football Show. Go over to there, where we'll see clips of this, clips of this, as well as plenty of other things, which we'll add over the next couple of weeks. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you all next time.